Where are you from? Where am I from? What company do I work for? Yeah, that's how she started. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I work for Biorad Laboratories. Um, I'm also an agile coach. Um, I manage delivery, um, a bunch of other good stuff. But I just want to keep it on that, right? So we can focus yeah. on the context. Yeah. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. yeah, so we decided to combine our topics. And I thought I'd come with a question how do we build quality in upfront? You know, and, and, and like, why do we care about that? Um, and it's just one thing I've noticed, and I guess I've been in the software industry now almost 20 years. And I've been at a few different companies, and I worked as a consultant. And kind of one thing that I've noticed is that, you know, sometimes we have a pattern of quality control. Stuff gets in the test column, and then some of our uh, people that focus on quality only first discover this thing when it's in their test column. You know, but then at other places I've been, you know, you can see that and you're, maybe there's cues in quality because people are working individually and coding things and then there's like almost like a log jam in the quality column or in the code review column. So I've seen stuff like that. Then I've also seen at different companies where time is taken to build in shorter feedback loops earlier on in the flow of our work whether it's doing test first development, whether it's having quality focus on um, acceptance tests, quality roles focus on acceptance tests and other things with, with their teams. You know, so I was just kind of like, huh, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing. So how do we build quality in upfront and you know, what does that all mean? So I didn't have a specific, uh, anything really more than that, but just really to try to create a dialogue and to see like, you know, what, what do you guys think? You know, what are the thoughts on there about whatever this thing is called quality, which is another topic, and, and if we have a work stream, you know, the flow of our work, when do we introduce things that pay attention or try to improve quality? Because I've seen it in different ways. Um, so anyway, it's really a kind of open discussion, and I'm happy to facilitate it through listening to so when you were speaking the how to build quality up front, to me it came down to communication. Mm -hmm. And um, in my experience, that has taken a couple different forms. Um, so one of the forms it took was um, we have a weekly demo uh, meeting where we just demo to our team and we extend the people. And um, that's a way to get some eyeballs on things sooner, as you know, so that you demo whatever's in progress. Mm -hmm. um, we have longer sprints, so for that, us, like the details. And the product owner will show up to that from time to time, and sometimes we'll be wrestling around with the technical thing, and uh, the product owner can say, hey, that, that's you know, maybe not something you need to work on. And then the other thing is, um, I also work with UX, and um, getting customers involved at the mock-up stage mm -hmm. um, is, a, is another form of communication. So that's just what popped in my head later. Mm -hmm. um, huh. I look at BioRed and um, we actually start coming from um, Waterfall into the Agile. And so um, it also came from the environment where there is a silo versus when we became Agile, you're now focused on knowing everything. 
And so um, one thing that um, they've actually suggested to us, because I work with him, is do the test first. And there's a big con confusion of TDD and test first. It's actually different. TDD is more on your, your developing. It's good for unit testing. It's good for actual testing, too. But test first is actually you're visiting the software, looking at the capabilities of what you're going to introduce. How This is where the quality is going to kick in, because you're looking at you know, what could be the downside of what you're going to introduce and everything before you actually start coding. And so we got, in, especially when you say about the flow of um, work, we, we always do the test first, right? But then sometimes we get sidetracked. Um, we get production issue, for example. In production issue, the product support team will tell you, oh, this is how I look at it, and we follow it in their way of looking at it, and we go, oh, we did do the test first. The test first would give us the answer. So that's when I find that really test, uh, you know, the test first really will give you quality in your work. If I could add real quick, uh, in terms of communication and in terms of test first, one of the things that I'd like to add to the conversation is the focus. And I think a lot of times that our focus, especially from you know from a testing perspective, is is the, de the developer develop the right thing. And that, in my opinion, that's that's not the, the right focus. The right focus is is that what the business is asking for? Mm -hmm. And see, and then once we start looking at it, once the, the quality starts looking at it, perspective, the focus is. What, we, the, what the business is asking for, the deliverable, and mm -hmm. what they will accept, and what they will, you know, that, once you start focusing, everybody starts focusing on that, then the communication becomes a little bit easier, uh, then, you know, uh, then we can start looking at other things, so, so really, to me, it's just a matter of focus versus mm -hmm. some of the other things, you know, focus on what the business wants. Yeah, what the deliverable is to the business. Exactly. That's all, you that's focus all on that, that's yeah. a form of testing, right? Is this, in, and then see if you're in alignment with development. Sometimes, you know, if you focus on development, you'll miss exactly what the business is looking for. If I could change the verbiage a little bit, you mentioned mm -hmm. focus on that, that kind of form of testing. Mm -hmm. Let me suggest that a testing is a form of finding defects, mm -hmm. okay, while um, focusing on QA, quality assurance, is, a, is focused on preventing defects. Mm -hmm. So if we can start looking okay. at the, okay, if we can start looking at what the business mm -hmm. wants, that at the end of the day, what the developer developed is not correct, we could say, if we can find that early, we prevented a defect versus finding a defect. So the way we look at it, we're, we're specialists in, in quality assurance. We're one of the, um, uh, well, so, we're, so what we do is we try to focus on the, the, the end result versus, excuse me, we start focusing on the, from the beginning so we can prevent defects versus finding defects. Finding defects, finding the numbers, it's too late in the game. You guys all know the cost of this, right? So I just want to change that verbiage. Mm -hmm. there, there's one thing I might add to all these uh, discussions about um, basically communication, but it's really about alignment. And so one of the things mm -hmm. we're working on um, in our company in, um, is preceding any kind of IT implementation with design thinking. I don't know, is anybody, how, how many are familiar here with design thinking? So just a brief overview of it. If you think of Agile as iterative execution, design thinking is iterative ideation. And so it starts with these premises of you ask hypothetical questions and you test the questions out, right? So you might say, how might we design a better um, interactive educational tool for children, right? And, and as you start to explore these things, you actually do test them out. And so for example, um, one of the gentlemen who's working with us from IDO, that they're kind of a design specialty firm, design thinking specialty firm. You know, this very early phase, like, sort of exploration is very low fidelity. 
So literally, like they were working with some kind of educational software where, like you would on a mobile phone, you touch Elmo's face, right, and Elmo would react, and, and this, that, and the other. So they said, hey, before we even have the rubber meet the road and actually build it, let's go try this out on people at a very low fidelity. And they weren't kidding. They meant low fidelity. What they literally did was they cut out a cardboard, put a guy behind it, and had somebody go touch him, and he would react, you know? And so, so this is the kind of, I think, testing that is groundbreaking, that is necessary. Because by the time we get into sprinting and execution mm -hmm. in IT and software development, it's way too late. Mm -hmm. The rubber's already met the road. So the early, early phase testing, I mean, this is going to prove out, I think, when we kind of try to melt design thinking, then blending into more agile practice. But I think that part, that, that uh, precursor needs to happen so that the business alignment can yeah, it kind of reminds me of validation, like market validation. I was part of yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, I was part of a startup in the um, as a tenth employee, and the founders invested in some early upfront research. They were they wanted to build software for auto repair shops, and they went. They did extensive interviews, multiple in person auto repair shops, and then they learned from that validation, from that early testing, that you know what these this market is not in enough pain to warrant us building a company around mm -hmm. software for auto repair shops. Mm -hmm. So then they were like, okay, we're not going to do that. We learned, we spent some money to do it, but it was, you know, great thing to learn now before we built a right. thousand person company with, you know, whatever. And then they wound up doing market validation to see if, hey, would, we, we kind of think people might be interested in uh, software, workflow software for property management companies, you know, people that manage the apartment building, who moves in, who moves out. Mm -hmm. And they validated that, yeah, it looks like these people are in enough pain that we can go down the line and build the software. And they wound up, you know, the company went public in 2015. It's called Appfolio. You know, and it's like when we think of testing, even when I wrote this question, how do we build in quality up front, I was thinking of code, you know, I was thinking mm -hmm. of that thing that many of us spend our time on um, as opposed to the things that we can do before we would even get that far downstream, you know, it's kind of like, where is the upstream of, of this? Um, I want to do a check, though, because I know we have a couple things combined here. Yeah, we I would on go time for 10-10, like so okay. I figure like maybe 10-50 we could pivot. Okay. But, I mean, this is a great topic, right, to really get the insights of what people are talking about, what you guys are thinking and experiencing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about, I wish I had known about this way back when. Right, when I started a business uh, building a learning management system, I wish I had these type of thinking going forward. You know, we're still doing the waterfall thing and, and building a company from the ground up, building software. Um, big challenge, right? I mean, you don't think about a lot of these things. So I think this is a really great concept. Go ahead, sir. So you started off with test first versus TDD, and I thought that was good because it sort of, to me, spoke to the idea of behavior-driven development, which is some of what we're talking about here. And there are different levels of that. There's what you've talked about, which is full-on market research, bringing about some ideas. But sometimes in the corporate environment, you're not going to have quite that same ability to go out into the world. But if you're bringing in, like, if you're writing software for the accountant department, <coughs> if you bring in the accountants and say, well, what should happen? How should I go through? You know, what should come next? What should come next? And you're taking those notes. And then you can use that same script to write tests from. That's what BDD is really about. And even though a lot of the TDD people will talk about, well, I have to build my test from the very lowest level as I'm building up my implementation, you can combine that with, but I have this goal, I have this BDD script that my customer has given me that has been validated, 
and that's how I can then know when my software is meeting the requirements, meeting the quality goals that that my customer set forth. Mm -hmm. Can somebody more unpack a little bit more about the test driven uh, uh, test approach? Test first. Uh, I think you. But can I hear more about that? Because I'm, I'm interested. I, I didn't quite understand the techniques. Well, how we practice test first? Yeah. Oh, uh, my thing is that lucky that we have a combination of real. Um, all of us are in the senior level development, and also I, I do uh, test automation for the group. So. This way, uh, I tell the group, typically this is how I'll test it. So even before, we have to think about, you know, the pros and cons. If we do this, what could be and what I would look for. So I, I have the, so far, I have the uh, knowledge of knowing how or envisioning how users will use it according to the requirement. And then when you look at your current system and you see that, yeah, it's that, but if you look at the codes behind it, sometimes it just looks like a plain UI, something like that. But when you change something in the UI, there's a chain effect behind it. So that's why, you know, it's good that, you know, when you introduce something that you're not breaking other things is part of the test first to realize what's going on. That way, that way when you introduce um, your changes, it's going to be solid and it will work according to how you plan on designing it. How can you, how can you apply that when you develop a new application? This one is for using existing application. It's easy, just you can break or not. So what if it is brand new? Let me give you, I mean, when I think of test first, I think of it from an analysis perspective, right? I mean, it's, it's really looking at holistically what is being asked of you, you know, as a developer. So well, when we think about test first and code, um, it's not, it has nothing to do with BDD or TDD at that point, you know? And so we will have a story, a simple story that our product owner creates, and we go, let's look at the story. Um, who, who is the story for? Right, so we begin with the context of context. We have context of the story itself. The next part of it is that we have acceptance criteria. Right, I mean that's important. Right, so we said, do we have clarity in the acceptance criteria? Now that we understand context and clarity, and the third part of this is like, well, what are the constraints that we have observed? We haven't written any code yet. Right, we have a piece of paper that looks like this, and one of the things that we do is use micro teams, and micro teams is not more than three to five people. Every story is analyzed that way, and it's time box for 15 minutes. So in 15 minutes before you do anything, um, you sit down and as a team, you say, well, what's the context? What's the clarity? Do we understand any constraints? And then we said, let's build some tests. We haven't written any code yet, and you don't have to use any specific language. Right? You can plain old English language. And he said, well, let's build some tests based on what we know. We write those down. Then we do the same thing for, let's pass some tests. Let's write some tests that would pass and support this story. Let's write those down. Right? So before we have written any code, we have complete understanding of that one story. And in 15 minutes, then we move on to the next one. So if you set up a one hour worth of collaboration with your micro team, you know, essentially you could get through four stories in an hour. Right? And this is before you write any code, you do this. You can do this before grooming, you can do it anytime you choose. You can do it in planning, you can say, hey, we're planning, we don't understand this, let's use test first, right, as, as a method. So it's not about just quality in terms of how you execute code, it's how you execute thinking about your code, right? And that's a totally different mindset before you start writing anything. Just a clarifying question. Um, so in TDD, you have the fail test and then you write the code to make the pass test. Mm -hmm. Is that exactly what you said? It, it is, but okay. there's no code. It's, it's just English language. 
right? And then, so when I'm finished with this, and I need to do BDD or TDD, I could take this understanding and then implement it in code. So you're talking more about negative testing versus positive testing? Well, that's what, yeah, that's what the field okay, is, yeah. right? right? But the concept is, is that we haven't written any code, you don't need to write software, so that means you could bring your product owner in, you could bring a customer in, you could bring anyone in to participate in this activity, and then you start getting clarity about what you're doing. That's the question. Who participates in this activity? How do you drive this in an organization that's generally, here's what I need you to do, get it done, you have a week? Well, no one gives you that, right, because we're doing agile. No one says, here's a week and this is what you get done. We said, tell me what you need done and we'll tell you how long it'll take, right, based on our capacity and our constraints. So, Normally, like I said, we use micro teams to, to do this. So normally our micro teams is one developer, one quality person who builds automation. But you could add other people around that as well. How right? often do you add the product owner or somebody of the business? As much as you need to, if you need it, right? It's really up to you because they're going to come up with a story. And we'll do um, a little mock with, with um, Lego so you can actually experience what this looks like, right? So at least. We, we could walk out of this room and say, okay, yeah, I've kind of like walked through this whole process <clears throat> using Legos and a simple story and dissect it, dissecting it. And we're going to actually put you in a little micro team, three to five people. So you will get the experience of really going through that. I mean, that sounds good? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's 10.17. Do we want to keep diving in more or do you want to take it? I have one question. Uh, we are coming from waterfall to Agile kind of midway by getting there. But there's a uh, huge uh, ask for the Agile teams to work as like, no, it's not like developers and QA separately, and QA is uh, QA person's responsibility for everybody's responsibility. So, how does that mindset and how it actually can practically happen? Do you guys have, not have QA separately in any of your agile teams? No. no. We're all one team. You are yeah. all one team. Yes. So that everything is done by um, everybody. As a team, yes. Even the like uh, regression, performance, um, system level testing. Yep, and yep, 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 yep. yep. Oh, that's great. We don't have that. Um, I get that. I want that. And it may take 20 years to change this all. We get that. And there's a difference between, at least in my mind, between organizational structure and operational structure. So you can have these agile cross-functional teams. It doesn't mean that it's related to reporting structure necessarily. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's right. But, but who takes the response? Who takes the lead and who takes... So I know it's a whole team. Yeah. They're not used to it, right? So that's yeah. maybe the problem. I think these are really big so. questions that are really specific ones, and I, I think we could probably... Actually, the team, the, the, the team is taking. We have fully agile operation process. So the entire team, including product owners, scrum master, developers, testers, right. and everybody the same. is responsible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the responsibility is up to the team. Yeah. And then, as she mentioned, I forgot your name. The actual structure, the organizational structure is different from yeah. Go ahead, you, you want to say something? I think you're you should come to my session next because we're going to talk about the shifting the culture from the waterfall legacy methods to, yeah. and there's a lot of challenges in that. That sounds right. like I'd love to have you in there and anybody else who can lend their advice to we have us. The structure, we, well, we have QA and everybody on the team, but the, the, there's still a mindset yeah. that, okay, when I get done coding, here, QA person, here's your testing. 
thing mm -hmm. instead of a more collaborative and it's all about what the team needs to do. And guess what? Sometimes developers, you guys need to do the testing. Yep. Yeah. 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 But that's where the... the book Large Scale Scrum mm -hmm. by Craig Lerman and Glass Boda, they talk about this like culture following structure. Like when you have the single specialist roles, my job title is tied to quality. My job mm -hmm. title is tied to something else. Maybe I have a tendency to want to only focus on that thing that's tied to my job description, my performance review, my whatever. It's like a constraint mm -hmm. towards that kind of collaboration. I've seen it at companies where they yeah. overcome that and they work yeah. collaboratively. Um, and I think that <coughs> the original intention of like Scrum, if you, read, mm -hmm. if you look in the Scrum Guide, there aren't these titles, there aren't these roles. You know, many right. companies say they practice Scrum or something else, but they have these roles and titles, which really isn't Scrum. But and that's exactly what I was going to say, what Linda said about the T-shaped skills. And that's yeah. why teams are supposed to be self-organizing, right? Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to determine how the work is going to be done. Not you're the developer, I'm the uh, tester. So, mm -hmm. But T-shaped skills is what I was going to mention as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, and we're moving. It's just the Titanic. We're here at UCI and we have, we have a small agile team. It's a group of about nine people. But it's a mix of developer, product owner, UX, QA, and I mean QA. And one of the things we wanted to do to do more collaboration, we do what we call a sprint check-in. The first week of the sprint, we meet with the developers and we'll review the test cases with them that we've developed as we've been looking at the acceptance criteria and the stories. And as they develop it, something may change. Mm -hmm. So we collaborate in this meeting. We'll review the test cases. They'll let us know, oh, we touched this. We need a test case for this or something like that. Um, we also do um, automated testing, BHAT testing. We review that with them as well. So it, it opens it up to the collaboration rather than the development, here's QA, because that's what it was like before. Mm -hmm. So it really works. And getting to the developers to yeah. and if is, we is have the a challenge crunch, we're having. They yeah. will help us with QA. Yeah. I want to yeah. show something yeah. fundamental for what you guys have said. I mean, this is not something that the team has to do on their own. I mean, coaching actually helps. Right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the advantages is that I'm one of the coaches. Also, and I said, we have made a conscious decision as an organization that there's no such thing as a QA role anymore. Mm -hmm. No such thing. Everyone are all developers. You could either write standard application, you're building up, um, automation, is still development. That changes the mindset. Right? So, I mean, those are some of the, the things you would have to do organizationally to shift, right, to enable that to, to occur as well. So, are you, are you saying that's more of an announcement, a proclamation, no, or no, I'm offering that to the team? No, no, no. This is a reality. It's like no one in, in our organization has a QA title. You change that. You are a developer. But you, you change that culture. But I'm saying if you're starting like in her situation, yeah. are you proclaiming, look, from here on out, there are no more QA folks. We're all just developers or team members. Or so are you offering it, that it, as a We do it as a structural change and also as a declaration. So, so I come in and, and physically okay. change your title yeah. from being QA, you know, in, in your um, job title to be a developer. So the org chart is a transformation. It's a transformation. It's very yeah. thoughtful. It's yeah. <laughs> not just like, it's like very... <coughs> what about the hard skills you need for the QA? Because one of the, I mean, a lot of great information coming through here. One of the things that we have, I have a professional photographer in Santa Ana, and uh, we have probably 88% of our QA dev are in Bangalore, India. So having these um, collaborations are very painful for everybody because we're all late nights. And we also get the benefit of working 18 hours during the day and then two hours at night during the night. So it's, it's very painful. Another session. But uh, what I found, and we've been, we've been on this journey probably almost four years now, 
and it's rush. I it, probably because we, we've come a long way, but we've been stagnant for a while. I think at least the teams that I work with, we're digressing. I think um, it's it, people are getting back to that mindset that there's a lot more unit testing going on with developers, but there's still a lot of this is. So I think you pointed out this on QA. I'm done, Deb. I'm done. This is QA's turn now. Hands off. Mm -hmm. And they go, well, what do I do now? How do I stay busy? And they're asking these questions again, whereas two years ago they weren't asking those anymore, but then they start asking those again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I, I face similar things as well. And like one of the things that I've learned is that, you, I mean, you can try to tell people what they do to do, but that doesn't work. It has to be, you know, your own idea, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how can we reveal as much of this system to the, the squads or to the team so that they care enough to want to try experiments to change things? on their own, it's like their idea. Um, you know, so I think like visualizing workflows, identifying cues, like hey, you know, at the beginning I was, I, I'll spend an hour with the squad and we'll just visualize the workflow in the kind of traditional Kanban sense. Like what's the end? You know, it's usually deployment, but you know, maybe customer acceptance is something better. We just visualize what is. I'm like, oh, we have a code review column, a quality column, an in-development column, whatever it is, and it's different on team different teams because this is an organic situation and I'm like okay well let's just first you know if they use JIRA let's say let's put a post-it note just in these columns representing each JIRA ticket you don't even have to write anything on them like if there's 20 in tests let's just put those there if there's you know five in development whatever let's just visualize this and like all right huh oh what do you notice hmm. where do you, where are the blockages in our system oh, it seems like maybe in code review and quality all right I wonder What's an experiment we might try? Like, if we were to look at this again in a month or in two weeks, like, what do you want to try in order to kind of move the needle? You know, and then the teams can come up with experiments to try. That's, like, some of the things that I try, just try to make a difference in the local sense, even though some thought leaders say, ah, oh, local optimization doesn't make any sense, but I think it does if you're a person working on these teams. Mm. You know, it's a, a different scenario if you're going to try to change the whole system, which is, is something else. So, um, I'm one of the mobbers of Hunter, and when you're talking about a culture, one of the things that will happen is if you bring everybody into a meeting room and you say, okay, we're going to make this change, and then you have them all go back to their office, um, the change just stopped because they're back in their office doing what they used to do. Um, mob programming sort of changes that model in a sense, and it doesn't mean you should move to it permanently or that it's going to be the right for your environment in the long run. But you'll find that if you, instead of setting up the meeting to talk about it, you've got code on the screen, you're starting to address some of those problems, you're saying, here's where we are on the development, here's where we are on the test, and you're having the developers look at the test code, you're having the testers look at the developers' yep. code, and you're talking about the code in a shared environment, and you're in, in, an, in a manner where you can make changes. So it's not just, oh yeah, that's a problem, we should go, no. We're, we're here, we're not here to talk about our problems, we're here to actually work on this as a group, all of us together, and as you make changes to the code, we're going to adjust the test, or we're going to adjust the test and then make changes to the code depending upon your process. Um, the test first is a, a little stronger over time, but your culture may not be ready for that right away. But actually having them work together in the same room at the same time where they're mm. talking face to face, they're not going back to their office to make the change. Different people, you know, one person's at the keyboard and that whole mobbing process um, that's, that's been established and works really well um, really helps that cultural shift because now they're not the testers over there, they're the person in the room with me that's now part of my team mm. that's looking at my code the same time I am and I'm looking at their code 
and I'm not trying to build in ways to make their test pass that aren't really going to work in the long run. I'm, I'm showing them what it's going to take, and, and now I've brought in a product owner to look at what we're, what we're facing. Oh, this is why that challenge, you know, that change is going to take this long. If we just changed it this way, and you'll find product owners get more involved because they can start to see things. The testers are part of the team. They're not the enemy, the guys that keep sending it back. Um, and it, it will change the culture a, a lot more quickly. Okay, Lorraine, let's jump in. Yeah, I know yeah. she wants to get in there. Just make this really quick so you yeah. can, not just a voice from the floor. Um, I have a possible observation that might be helpful for you, Paul, and uh, Heidi, Dr. Dave, chime in if, if this is yeah. based on your coaching consulting experience. Um, when I've seen people retreat into their job descriptions instead of having that collective ownership for quality or whatever they're collectively responsible for, one of the contributing factors that I've seen in a lot of organizations is when people, you mentioned the pain of working long days and nights. When people are overworked and stressed out, they tend to forget about the goodwill and the us and think, right. of, think about the them. And think about it, we all do that. When we're stressed out, that's when we cut people off on the freeway. Right. That's that's when that's we're kind it. of the jerk, right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Get the fingers going. Yeah. When we're in a hurry, you know, when we're in a hurry, we forget about humanity. You know, and going back to agile longevity, that's the humanity. It's hard to remember the humanity, the collective commitment to quality when we're all in a hurry and overworked. Yeah. I don't know if that's alive for you, but that I can easily see that connection. Absolutely. Really cool. Yes. Yeah. Wow. The, the, the shift and the ch and you know what? Let me let you go because I haven't heard from you. So oh, go ahead okay. and jump in. Thank Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I liked your point about the, the, the post-it notes and the tags and so on. Just reminds me of um, uh, the built-in, you build in quality by having motivated people, trusting them to get the work done, and utilizing the retrospective to its fullest to, to, to build in quality. So that's on the people side. On, on the change in um, dev and QA, what we're experiencing is uh, leveraging the DevOps. When you leverage the DevOps and you make a forced uh, commitment to test automation, that changes everybody's job description. And if you and if you if you measure the transition from manual testing to automated testing, you also be measuring the transition of people from doing manual QA to to testing QA. So. DevOps turns out to be a good uh, uh, help for us in that area. So I'm gonna, I want to do a little pause because I want I'm going to do a forced intro by someone who is new to test first, then code. Um, she was new to the company. She did it with a um, was big mess, right? It's an intern. So share your experience with that because this is you know a lot of us have been around for a while. This is probably your first full-time job, and and really, what is that experience like? If you, with with Big Nash, right? I mean, when you, when you guys didn't do it, and then when you did it, what how, what was that experience? What was the variance? Sure. So as you mentioned, I worked with Dr. David Byron Laboratories, and. Uh, one of your question was, um, how do you address test first for a completely brand new product? And well, we did we did not try test first at first, and then versus this approach where we are having the context, clarity, constraints, and the fail tests and the pass tests. And the difference is amazing because at one point we had questions that we realized, oh, we need to go to the product owner and see what the what the constraints are and how we can overcome them. So it's been a great experience with this strategy to come up with a completely new product development because it's um, it's test first that that's bringing out the basic failed or past tests. So 
so yeah, it's been a great experience. Mm -hmm. Can we maybe go to an example of it? Yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so are you guys ready to give it the play a, a little game? Yay, okay. absolutely. Okay, cool. So I'm going to write out a user story. I have this um, persona, his name is Selmo. And Selmo is this um, blue genie that I like. <laughs> it really is. And we use it in this program that I run called Five Saturdays. We teach high school kids agility software development. You know, Seneca has also participated in that. But we use Selmo as one of our personas. And, and if you talk about design thinking, um, personas are important. Like maybe we should move this along. Yeah. That's fine. But the idea, you, you know, that, uh, the idea is to discuss this stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I know some people said, I need a product owner. So, has anyone built anything? I did. You did? You did? Well, yeah. which is awesome. So, well, let's start with the people of, who are the builders of things. And... That's what happens when you give me Lego. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy. So what, yeah, actually. what would be interesting is you and your team, because we do micro teams, I would use this as a placeholder and and you come up and put here, you know, what you <laughs> I just built. Oh, you just built? And yet look, I it's guess. meeting some of the criteria. Right. right. Yeah, it yeah. does. So yeah. It does. We, talked about context, right? So yeah. we knew we needed to build a tall building, mm -hmm. right? And um, the one thing that was missing was how tall does it really need to be? That would have been a question we would have asked. Yeah. You still built without the height? Well, I, I built with what I had, right? So a tall building based on how I could put the Legos together. So it got rebuilt a couple of times, you know, and we put the pink ones on the bottom, the blues aren't matching. Um, you know, the constraints are, some of these are weird Legos. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them didn't exact go together. Okay, so that's great. Right. So, right. so now we can okay. say, is this what you were looking for? No. Nope. Oh, and we have something weird on the top. Well, it's not what, uh, what I'm looking for. Uh, we wrote out some acceptance criteria. Oh, the question is, did, yeah. there was something on the roof that is not a Lego? Uh, the man, the flag, and his hat. Okay. Okay, we, perfect. That's what we I looked, guess. So we met the acceptance. Like, what is a Lego? So. Yeah, yeah, what is a Lego? Really a Lego. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a Lego. They're all Legos. Oh, see, no, they're all Legos. Clarity of definition. They're all Legos. Right. Well, this is the right. looking Lego because. <laughs> yeah, it's not a Lego. Okay. Go. Our team intentionally did not we are testing first. So go through all five. Yeah. Okay. For uh, the constraint, we wanted to know what is that something on top that's not a Lego. Yeah. And the second one is how tall. Mm -hmm. okay. So we identify it. Okay. Um, for clarity, we are clear about the, the big bricks and where they should be according to the, to the um, acceptance criteria. criteria. Hmm. And we are clear on the fact that there, is, there are no two glues together. Okay. So I would say the near the bottom is maybe not clear because that could be open to interpretation. Yeah. But, but let's just let's let's just leave it within the team because it's a t they own this, right? They're okay. they're responsible for delivering. Let the team mm -hmm. deliver. Go ahead. So for context, we know that we're building a tall building. Mm -hmm. For the failed test, is um. 
How do we put them together? Are we supposed to snap them? How? I know Legos are supposed to be snapped, but still, that's a question that we ask. Mm. So that's oh, that we want to test. <laughs> yeah. And for past tests, the building is uh, uh, the building is completed with brick. brick uh, you will test that the building is really completed with uh, the pink bricks on the bottom part, not mm -hmm. the bottom part, but excuse me, the bottom mm -hmm. part of the building. And also, um, the two booths are not together. Those are the passing tests that we identified. Awesome. So, so what did you guys think about that in terms of, well, she, she has an advantage because I've been yes. drilling this in her head for a year. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and, and so what did you think about someone who's done it versus someone who's still learning? I mean, did you see the pattern that she went through in 15 minutes? Well, it was less than 15, eight minutes she was able to dissect the story mm -hmm. and everyone in her team had clarity and understanding of what, what needed to be done. I think the challenge for me as a new person mm -hmm. to this concept to was that I wanted to keep asking all the questions okay. that I didn't know, that nobody knew the, knew the answer to at that point. You know, like how tall the windows, right. paint job. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. That's where we go. Yeah, and that's where thing. immediately yeah. gravitate to Go ahead, Tidy. That, that really resonates with me, too, and it's kind of like, well, some of these things we discover later, too. So yeah. this dialogue, like I would view it as, you know, maybe you start it, but you mm -hmm. continue it also as you get you're able to ask the questions. You can write down all the questions you have. There might you might not be able to get all the answers in 15 minutes, but you it's like a start down the path of something that informs what you build. Yeah, because this is iterative, right? That brings yeah. up a really interesting question that just popped into my head. So, at what point is then this done? You, your time box right? at, your because time box at 15 minutes. So. I know, but if you still have open-ended questions on your clarity, like what they were talking about. So you got to go talk to your PO. Yeah, PO. Okay. Yeah. So then yeah. you come back yeah. around. And yeah, you got to go back that, to your that's PO. What I, I know you go back to your PO yeah. and you yeah. come back around yeah. and do this again. And then you, you, if you need to, then you do it again. Till right? til everybody is satisfied. And then everyone in the team is satisfied. You understand? Yes, you understand? Yes, we're good to go. Yes, let's, okay. let's go back. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you might mm -hmm. from that yeah. so Carlos, so are you going to present? I'm actually. I have. I was concern or where do you put your clarity as a constraint because we as a team actually identify that that's some of the constraints not more of the clarity I know that mm. you put it as the clarity actually that you knew that it had to be on the pink bricks on the bottom and to me that was a constraint well yeah it sounds like there's some kind of relationship there is there is a relationship yeah. but if yeah. you notice that context pertains to the, the story yep. right and clarity pertains to your acceptance criteria well, constraints could be between the two of them, right? So I was wondering too about the context. You talked about design thinking, yeah. getting into the persona, yeah. understanding the context between someone. Why does he want it? Why does he even want a tall building? And that's that's a good question, right? I mean, he, he tells you who, what, why, but you could have asked more. But I want another team to go through their exercise. What what did you guys come up with? And that was one of them. That's exactly yeah. what we were wondering what the context was. So, we, so did you walk through all five steps? We didn't get to the. We got stuck on the negative testing. Okay, well, go as much as you can. All right. I mean, this is not perfection. So, context was we need a tall building. Uh, the clarity was that yeah, yeah. Basically, restating the acceptance criteria as long as everyone understood what they meant. Yep. Um, the constraint was basically there was a building code. That's what it was, right? Could be that, yeah. Um, Didn't even think about that. And the constraint also was that we needed clarity. So are we talking about if it's a one-floor building, then how can you be near the bottom of the pink? Right? Does that, like, that muddies up that first criteria. Thanks, and, Heidi. And then we got stuck, <laughs> we got stuck on fail tests. 
Okay. But, but I can definitely say context was I was thinking about more of the why, understanding behind so mm -hmm. people can empathize why are we doing this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great, man. This mm -hmm. is awesome. Are any other teams want to walk through walk through this before we kind of we have like about um, seven minutes so does another team want to walk through theirs to give you an opportunity to do that okay go go ahead and do it yeah so these people get an opportunity to see what the model looks like yeah. Yeah. Six minutes, right, left. So what do you guys think in terms of that experience? I mean, could you take this back to your office oh, yeah. and use this model with your small team to yeah. like, churn through things, right? Yeah. I mean, what, do you, what, what, is, what is your takeaway? Let's just talk about your takeaways. What if all my acceptance criteria are falling into constraints? Like, I have no clarity. You, you need lots of conversation with your product yeah. owner. Right. You go back yeah. to that person and say, help. So, so I think that's a good technique for our refinement meetings to mm -hmm. make sure your user stories are ready for the uh, iteration. I, I was just going to say yeah. that. that. Definition of ready. Yeah. 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 So is this part of that context? Is that part of the backlog yeah. meeting? It's, yeah. You could use it in grooming. You could use it in planning. You could do it during execution. Yeah. Right. And you can use it any time because it's, it's a, a, a point for you to pause and make sure you understand as a team what does it take to be successful, right? To yeah. actually drive that. I Go ahead. I think you could actually use it even further upstream. Yeah. For some of us, our stuff doesn't start with a user story. It's like before that. Yep. It's like, what's the problem? You're bringing a problem. Yeah. Like, you could, you know, getting it, going to a customer site, understanding their context, what the issues are, and other things. Like, you haven't even written a user story. So, yeah, that's I true. I just want to inject that. I think it Perfect. translates to that. Yeah. Any other comments? Before we, you know, we could talk more, we could talk less, or we could leave. It's up to us. It's what, right. what, what are the challenges of having this kind of work? A lot of it is team dynamics, right? I mean, so, and the reason why I buy into micro teams, and this is something that I coined um, about a year or so ago, that, you know, teams of not seven to nine are too big. Three to five is the right size. Right, I mean, dealing with the number of interactions. So mm -hmm. it's really the personalities, right? People, you know, Heidi and I can't get along, and blah. So we could be <laughs> chatty maddies on this subject forever. So that's one of the problems. So that's why you time box it at 15 minutes, you know, like you got to get out of there in 15 minutes, right, with this story because you want to move on to the next story, right? So watch for team dynamics and, and how do you kind of um, get those to be really fluid, right? 
They're talking about there. your micro If you want to read about micro teams, um, there's a okay. chapter about yeah. micro teams in okay. a book that I wrote called Dynamic Reteaming, and I interviewed Dave in that. It's on MeanPub. So yeah. if you're on a larger team than what you consider too large for a micro team, a, a section of the team should go off and do this and then bring it back to the larger team? Well, I, I would even take your larger team and break them into micro teams. Yeah, that's what I, uh, right? that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because right. it's when you yeah. think of the number mm -hmm. of interactions, mm -hmm. three people is three. Mm -hmm. right? I think nine is 54, the number of interactions. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, all talking at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool way to force yeah. like smaller work in progress, too, without yeah. even having to talk about it. Because people collaborate, they'll just pretty much work on one thing at a time. So it's kind of a cool trick to encourage less work in progress. So I'll give. So we have three minutes. I'll give you my email. Um, just we'll have this podcast. I'll put it up tonight. If you guys want to go back and listen to, um, I'll take some pictures and throw those up there as well. Um, and, and so I'll tell you where it's going to be. If you go to rockshare.com, right? This is where you'll find the podcast. Okay. Under what? Will it be obvious? Or is there a matter of fact, it would be the number one thing on okay. the site because it would be the, the, the last post. Okay. Right? So when you go up in there, you'll see something in test first, then code. And there's actually, I, I, I did um, a webinar on test first, then code. So you could go into the details of, no, I haven't done, I did a, yes, I did a podcast on it. But I'm doing a webinar next month on, on test first, then code. Uh, you, can, you can find your email address from there. Yeah, it, my email address is um, Dr. Dave at null share. So you can send me an email also, and um, I mean, we can share all of this stuff. So this also would be out in iTunes and Google Play as a podcast so if you want to listen to it later. But no, this has been fun. What do you guys think? Yep. All right, so we should just you know give ourselves we, we sustain and dealt with this hot weather in our hot room. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys can put all the Legos back in the bag, please. Look for the Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at drdaveinfo or at Null Share. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017. Null share. Dr. Dave. I'll share with 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 Dr. Dave. I'll share with